0: Welcome to The Garden Guys. I'm Tom Bartels from growfoodwell.com and Darren Parmenter from the La Plata County Extension Office here in Durango. Today we did an on-site visit with a local gardener. So join us as we take a tour with Brian Farley in his backyard garden. We uh, were approached actually by a gentleman by the name of Brian Farley. How you doing today, Brian? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. And he's got a great situation out here. He's in La Plata County and he's got a garden and some beds that were put in a while back from a previous owner. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And she was a master gardener as well. So. Whoa. Big shoes. She's
2: one of my disciples. Okay. <laughs> we're going to go
0: find some of the mistakes here. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well,
2: actually, we're going to reference check that name because a lot of people call themselves master gardeners, but I've got the list. I've got the master master gardener oh, list. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Okay, nice.
0: <laughs> we're going to do a walk around today and see what Brian's up against because it's spring and he's got uh, big visions for his garden and we're going to just talk about what ideas we can come up with, um, what solutions we can provide for Brian and some of the challenges he's facing. So
2: I don't know if Brian, if you want to set the scene or Tom, if you want to set it in terms of kind of what the climate's like up here, environment, you know, that microclimate. You mentioned to me earlier, you've been here since 2020. Mm -hmm. So you've had three years or gone your third year of this location so we always hope you know maybe you kind of understand which way the wind blows most often where does the snow pile up like how does the water drain off this place all these freaking ponderosa trees that you have they cast shade Mm -hmm. so understanding that climate that would be awesome for the listeners to to get as well so they can get that wonderful visual interpretation of what we're seeing right now
1: yeah so we're we're down wildcat canyon which is about 10 minutes from downtown durango and uh we're our elevation's 7,000 feet, give or take. So we usually get about, you know, if town gets six inches of snow, we'll, we'll get a foot, something like that. You know, we, we generally get more snow. The property is about three acres, but I'm, I only garden a small section of uh, raised beds in the back. You know, most of it's really hilly and, and full of ponderosa. So um, I, I just haven't established any gardens beyond what's kind of in the immediate backyard here. And which way are you facing in that backyard? It's it's south facing, so it gets tons of, tons of sun in the back as well.
0: Great, let's uh, walk in there and take a look.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You want the gate closed? Uh, it's fine. So I guess I guess it's worth pointing out. So, you know, any any uh, perennials that you see here are, are uh, all the effort of the previous homeowner. So, um, I, I really can't take any credit for, for what you see here, all the pretty flowers coming up, but uh, I do I do try to maintain it the best I can. So
0: so it's great. You've got one, two, three, four almost, four terrace levels that have been built in with railroad ties, creating like a dozen different beds of perennials and flowers above your patio. You actually
2: <laughs> got some, uh, you got prickly pear, you got some yucca, you got the, the tulips and the alliums are coming up. I mean, it's, re- it's really nice to start the one thing that we always see with railroad ties it's it's great not to have edible crops Mm -hmm. within a railroad tie garden because they made railroad ties to last as long as the railroad lasted you know and so what they would do is they would dip them in some really nasty stuff and then they would last for eternity that stuff tends to leach and that tends to accumulate in the soil a little bit and there are certain plants especially those that we eat that can take up that arsenic Um, other heavy metals that are leaching out of that
0: and that's specifically root crops would pull up more arsenic if if that's the example we want to use uh, versus what's going on here which are mostly non-edibles
2: yeah like uh, a lot of root crops spinach actually is a bioaccumulator of heavy metals so it's nice not to uh, make this an edible crop and make this more of that ornamental so it's not really a critique they actually did a good job not putting yeah, you know, or uh, edible crops in there.
0: Well, it's beautiful, and it's going to provide a lot of other uh, flowers and nectar and pollen for some of the pollinators coming in uh, during different times of the year. So it's actually going to help the food garden.
1: So then this is kind of where the work's going to start for us. So we have we have a little bit more perennial beds here and here, and then and kind of part of here you can see the the tulips coming up now, um, and then kind of everything to the, um, the east, if you will, is, is where I want to sort of establish an a annual vegetable garden.
0: So we're looking at some raised beds, some framed raised beds that were done here ahead of time. And it looks like you're dealing with maybe 100, 150 square feet, something like that. Just That's to give cool. our audience a little visual on uh, how big the challenge is. So let me ask you, what was your motivation when you moved into this house? You saw these beds, but was there any other motivation as far as
1: why grow food? Why why do a garden? You know, I think a a large part of the motivation is just to have um, sustainably grown organic food that comes out of my backyard. I don't have to go to the store to get it. Um, There's there's a certain appeal. And then just I also want to be sort of competent generally when it comes to growing food just for my own you know, self-growth. I guess, um, yeah. It's just it's it's always been something I've wanted to do over the years. I've lived in different places and I've you know grown grown a couple of lousy tomatoes, but uh, never really established like a real uh, uh, proficiency in in the art of gardening.
0: So, what do you think are your biggest challenges in this uh, endeavor?
1: So, I think uh, a lot of times my biggest challenges are weeds. I get I get a lot of just competing crops you know weeding and and obviously you just get in there and, and weed them but sometimes it's just hard to keep up with them darren you got uh, some tips on that
2: <laughs> tips on weeding yeah or um, you know avoiding weeding reducing well weeding knees
0: i mean I have good knee pads so you can just yeah. kind of scoot along I and mean, just keep I mean, weeding
2: to be honest with you 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 have no idea what the seed bank is here, right? There could be generations of seeds. There could be hundreds of thousands of seeds out here. Mm-hmm. So to me, again, we always go back to what we say is you get what you get and you don't throw a fit of, you may have a ton of weeds and weeding may just be yeah. one of those things that you're gonna do every year. You can out-compete hopefully with, you know, especially in your vegetable beds. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom teaches it really well, this really highly uh, packed in dense planting style. Which outcompetes weeds, mm-hmm. right? So if you can outcompete those weeds over years, great. If you can keep them from going to flower and seed, you are so far ahead of that game. If you can just remove one year of that seed bank, um, your other plants will love you for it.
1: I, and I think that's a mistake I made early on. I was like, when when the wildflowers started to grow, I was like, oh, they're pretty. You know, the the butterflies like it, the hummingbirds like it. But then. Uh, you know, after they go to seed, it just becomes, you know, the, 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 the problem perpetuates year after year. So
2: and sometimes you just got to live with those things. Like, okay, so I got the pollinators, they come in early. If it's just depends if those weeds are really affecting what you want to do, especially with growing food, mm-hmm. then they may become an issue over there in the corner where you just have some juniper and whatever else you don't know what's going on. Oak brush. If weeds come in there, let them be and let the pollinators have those, right?
1: Yeah, the asparagus, that's, that's been a pleasant surprise year after year. It seems to get um, more and more established. And uh, yeah, if, if we can get to it before the dog does, we're usually pretty good.
0: And your onions are making it.
1: It seems like it. It yeah. seems like it, yeah. You've onions. got some
0: early onions, so you bought the baby plants, put them in, filled in this area, and got them ahead of schedule, which is great. And a lot of people won't get those in in time, so good on you for that. Thank you.
2: They love the water, for sure especially this time of year, because once you, you know, you bought them and they look like Mm -hmm. they got to like kind of break that dormancy that when they were shipped and when they do, after they do that, they'll start putting out roots. And then after the roots then they'll start putting out more, more of the leaves. Um, So getting that water, that soil moisture up is going to be critical for you.
0: It looks like on this side, there's some kind of some mallow and some uh, rhubarb. And you mentioned maybe this could be an expansive area and make it a little bit more of a purposeful bed on this side, is that
1: what you were thinking? Absolutely, and and you can see where I kind of started trying to till it up a little bit and I think I hit a bunch of aspen roots and I gave up pretty quickly.
0: I see, <laughs> that can be challenging. Yeah, yeah. hitting tree roots, uh, it's kind of demoralizing.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: and in this bed, you're gonna, f- so what we see in the bed is we have a beautiful aspen tree um, those of you who don't know, aspens are voracious suckers. They put out so many suckers off their roots. That's how they, you know, essentially flourish in our native forests. Um, and you got wild rose or the um, the aggressive rose that's going to spread on you as well. So you have some aggressive species in this bed. And then you have the super deep-rooted the mallow kind of coming up. And I don't know what else we see. We got some, maybe some hollyhocks or something in through here. And then we have the lone rhubarb. We talked about rhubarb last week as we did. Our second favorite perennial, which would also be our last
1: favorite perennial. There was asparagus there was and rhubarb two. and here here they are yeah, from right. A to there R. Yeah. The perennial vegetables. Do you like rhubarb? I do like rhubarb. i I've I've just started to experiment with it. So mostly pie. Um I don't know what else to do with it. <laughs>
0: That's exactly what we went over.
1: What else can you make besides
0: pie with rhubarb? We didn't know. I'm sure somebody out there does.
1: Nothing that I know of, that's for sure. I'm sure you can pickle
2: it. You can can it. You can make something with it. But yeah, we 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 kind of uh, thought about this last week, and all we came up with is strawberry rhubarb pie, and that was it. So if you like pie, having one plant is plenty.
0: Right, and it's we're looking at it here, and it's by itself just gangbusters of green growth it's one of those things that comes out early you can ignore it they do incredibly well so i guess you know when you get a plant like that that's doing it on its own you want to just let it do its business because it's uh you know it's not creating a hassle for you and it's free
1: food right i mean it's great Absolutely, yeah and and uh, pretty much all i do is water it a little bit until i get the irrigation going and then i don't even have to think about it yeah and i i think a tip that i did here is to cut the flower off and then it'll it'll grow more branches. Is, is that true?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, so you're kind of like moving the what we call a carbohydrate sink. Mm-hmm. So once it starts producing that that flower and then the the, the stalk, all the carbohydrates from the roots are going to go there. If you remove it, then those carbohydrates can go back into those leaves.
1: Well, let's move on to the beds over here. So maybe that's my biggest challenge, Tom. Is the is, dog? Is the dog probably? So
0: you've got to engineer for the dog to be out here amongst the garden
1: beds. Absolutely. I need to put up some fence or something, probably.
0: Well, does he jump up in these beds here? The the raised frame beds.
1: Um, she does sometimes when I'm not looking.
0: I see. Um, that could be a challenge, and that that could be also an opportunity for you and the dog to bond over new training.
1: That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking about the the beds are off limits. And the more time I spend out here, and the you know the, the more training she'll get, right? Exactly.
2: So we do have a pretty. This is a pretty creative bed shape. There's definitely some geometry and some engineering went into this. Whoever built it. Can you name that shape, Darren? What would you call that? Um, I'd call it like a lopsided octagon with a with a pathway up the middle. Yeah, and I like the pathway up the middle because if not, then this thing would have been a really big bed. The one challenge that, you know, Brian's going to face in this is that this bed is going to be greater than four feet across or five feet across. So for him to harvest that tomato in the middle of the the bed, he's going to have to step in that bed. So when we see things like this, this is why I always do beds that are four foot by eight foot so I can reach across that bed from either side. In this way, you can't really do that without stepping into the bed. So maybe even in these beds you have some designated pathways, some flagstones, some rocks that you can walk on so you just don't compact all of that soil
1: because it is gonna be really hard for you to get into some of these beds. And what are you thinking of growing out there? So I was gonna do the Three Sisters garden style. So the corn, the bean, and the squash is my, it, that's my intent for that bed there. Sweet.
0: It's a, it's a very ancient uh, triad. Uh, the three sisters are bean, squash, and corn. And what's really fun is there's a functional and chemical symbiosis, if you will, that happens with the three of those plants, whereas the corn is a very fast sprouter and, of course, has a very strong stalk. And what you can do is after the corn has grown, say, about 7 to 10 inches above the ground, you can plant pole beans right next to it. And the reason you wait for the corn to get up that height is so the beans don't overtake the smaller corn as it's germinating and trying to get above the soil so you let the corn get a head start the beans the pole beans will climb up and use the stalk of the corn for support as they climb so you get two crops in the one space and the squash will then um, spread its way around the ground uh, below all that and sometimes climb some of the stalks as well if it's a winter squash but those larger leaves will create a nice cooling effect on the lower canopy and uh, One of the other aspects of the Three Sisters is the beans help nitrogenate the soil, um, but that typically doesn't happen until the following season. Uh, It's a common mistake to think that the um, beans are feeding the corn at that same time, but what they're doing is the root nodules are collecting airborne nitrogen and putting it under the soil, which is magic in its own right, but then those decay under the soil and create plant available nitrogen the following season so the three sisters has been around for thousands of years native american tribes have used uh, that combination and that symbiosis for eons so it's really fun to see that because culturally it's appropriate in this region
1: yeah that's why i figured it, it i'd have a better success if i grew something that had a historic uh presence here I, I suppose
0: yeah and all three of those crops do really well in our southwest climate so i think you'll have really good luck there looks like there was some quarter inch and half inch supply line on your irrigation yep and are you going to reuse that or augment it in some way what are your plans for getting the water to all these beds
1: so the, the half inch I'll keep and then um, per your recommendation I plan on running the t-tape I just I kind of have a hell of a time with the quarter inch I want to lay it out with with some hydraulics in mind and, and sort of disperse it equally I, I think with the quarter inch a lot of times it would just pinpoint one plant instead of dripping along the way as well
0: what brian's mentioning here is a common challenge depending on the scale of your garden is getting those different types of emitters different pressure hoses different pressure systems out to the full length of the garden and if you make longer runs you can see a pressure differential or a pressure drop at the end of the line and it doesn't quite deliver the same amount of water that you hoped or that might happen at the beginning of the line. So it's sometimes an interesting challenge to balance those irrigation systems when you have multiple beds.
2: Yeah, Brian mentioned T-tape. It's kind of a a perforated tape, so there's little holes every typically 8 to 10 inches that just kind of leak out water. For those crops that are maybe closer planted or seeded, it's a great option. It's almost like soaker hose where it's going to, kind of water the entire space. Whereas if you use that quarter inch or spaghetti tubing with an emitter at the end of it, that yeah, just like what Brian said, you're kind of pinpointing one plant. So I use a combination of both. I don't use T tape. I have perforated tape and micro sprinklers. I just like irrigation. It's kind of fun to mess with different stuff. But for those ones that just have the emitter at the end, that's going to go to the tomato, right? The single plant that's 18 inches apart. You can put those out there so you're not watering the space between the 18 inches. So if you can get, and then you're going to, but you have to constantly move those emitters because roots, if you're successful, will grow and they'll grow away from the plant. So you're kind of, it's this game of moving the emitters. And it's, I like to play games in the garden, and that's one of them is find the roots.
1: I have a question. Okay, lay it on us. When should I plant my corn? Oh, about a month ago, just kidding. A month, no. no. Well, they're, they're right there, you can see them. You've got a uh, a
0: cool sunroom where you've got seedlings growing in trays. Let's see, we got some corn that is really taking off.
2: So yeah, you're doing corn as a transplant, which is somewhat unique, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. I used to work in corn fields in South Florida and they would plant corn transplants. Corn is, very temperamental in terms of temperature. Okay. It does not want to have anything. If it hits 32, it's not going to be happy with you. Gotcha. Um, So you kind of got to wait until that happens. So that,
0: That's only like a week away. Yeah.
2: Yeah you're, yeah. you're getting right there close to it. Okay. So it may be kind of the start of the hardening off period. You know, and you're going to like take it out a little bit more each day until that last night. You're going to leave it out all night and just see how it does. But it probably needs to get in the ground sooner rather than later just because they are getting pretty big.
0: In most cases, the corn, based on our planting schedule, will have plenty of time during the season to come to full ears, And um, so then it's just easier to plant them directly out after the freeze. But mm-hmm. you've got a jump head start on this because they're already about eight or 10 inches tall. So that's going to help you with the three sisters because as soon as you plant them, I'd give them a week to establish and then you can follow it up with beans and then they'll stay far enough ahead.
2: Yeah, they may not be overly happy with you when they go in the ground. Corn tends to not like to be transplanted as much as other crops. It doesn't mean that they're going to fail, it just means they may go into that shock where they just sit there and they may kind of droop a little bit and they just are trying to get acclimated to the soil around the roots and the environment around the the top of the plant. So don't fret uh, until you see it go totally brown then you can fret because it's dead.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you'll Good have enough. time if that happens to replant. So then you can just put new
2: corn in the ground and it'll come up a few weeks later. And you're higher than, than in town, but you know, it's kind of June one. It's like, you know, for corn, okay. that gives you enough time. To, if it's warmer out, the corn will germinate pretty quickly. I'm always kind of a June one
1: corn person.
0: What, what do you got going over here? Some Asian greens or something? Yeah,
1: that's bok choy. Bok choy. And, and I couldn't tell you why I started that one from seed either. I, I think I was just eager to plant some stuff. And that's what I decided.
0: Yeah, no, this look great. Those are going to do well. Let's go back out. What is this worm urban worm bag? What, what is this all about outside urban, your back
1: door? Urban worm bag. So the concept, it's a free flow. I think I'm saying that right. Free flow worm system. So you just put your compost. In theory, you put your compost on top. And then on the bottom, you harvest the worm castings. Um,
0: How's that been working out for you?
1: Pre- pretty good pretty good. It's still getting established. So the here I can show you some worms here nice um,
0: Now yeah. he's opening it and we've got the kitchen scraps He's got a nice thermometer in there to kind of monitor the
1: temperature range for the worms because it can get too hot for worms sometimes hmm Yeah, absolutely and and part of the reason I went this route is I Thought I could move it around and kind of figure out where it'll be happy because I, I started it maybe a month and a half ago when it was pretty cold as well and I put it close to the house just to maybe get a little bit of residual heat but yeah there's I put about a thousand red wigglers in here nice and sometimes you can find them I might add a little moisture to that okay
0: because um, they do like kind of a wet environment oh there's a big mass of them right there yeah, you see how they're all congregating around the wet mass. Okay. If the whole bin was like like all these peat pots, they should be optimally like the consistency of a rung out sponge. Okay. So you can sprinkle some water on there, and these worms will migrate around instead of being in one ball around some some wet material there.
1: That's great feedback. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. you um, you really want them to be super happy. The the better the conditions are for the worms, the faster, of course, they'll break down all the all the materials.
1: Okay. Dump it that
0: in is there. pretty slick
1: yeah that's, so we'll see how it works i don't know what i still don't know what i'm going to do in the winter i had like a little heating pad to start that's a committed gardener though. Yeah. That's, <laughs>
2: that's, you can maybe put some hay bales around the outside maybe just pack it with some insulation yeah you can maybe move it inside your little room here i don't know if maybe it gets too hot in there
1: yeah that might work too and you that
2: depends are you married
1: I am married. Don't uh-huh. don't I, move it inside. I, I asked my Can't. wife starting out if I could do worms in the house, and the answer was no.
0: I think women categorically have been taught that that's just a no-brainer. Yeah. When the yeah. guy asks you to put the worms inside, you just say no. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you want to sleep
2: outside, you can put the worms <laughs> inside. Yeah. That's what Exactly. Like. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's, uh, it's the hunt to find out where the secret worm bin spot should be on the outside of the house. That's right. But it looks like this is working for now. That's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, do you have any other questions? composting type opportunities out here
1: so i have got some i've got some spots where we could set up a more permanent situation i could show you the my compost point out there as well if you want to go look at sure that. let's go look at that yeah well, and what kind
0: of, this is a mount royal plum tree mm-hmm.
2: so i think if it's a mount royal if i know that variety it's it self-pollinates that's right Yep. so it doesn't need another plum somewhere in the neighborhood or close by to do that cross-pollination
0: so what do you got here on compost point, behind this uh, gate here?
1: Okay, so I've got um, I've got a culvert, it's just a, a section of culvert that we were throwing food scraps in, kind of haphazardly to see what would happen. And what happened? So it, it kind of breaks down on the bottom, I think like the bottom three inches I could probably harvest, uh, which I just haven't done yet. And then it, it takes some time, that's why I've gone towards the worms
0: oh i see yeah the worms will speed it up for sure and
1: then i've got just a, a a pile of uh you know dead branches and and plant matter as well as a, a tumbler which uh so he's looking at one of these
0: black um, semicircular black tumblers for compost and i've never had a lot of luck with those darren how do you like those kinds of uh, you know they make them in all kinds of shapes this one happens to be spherical in general you're having might trouble better with
2: the, if the lid would go on yeah, right. you're
0: having trouble just getting the lid on i don't know maybe this isn't on. a model for you
2: um <laughs> too many moving parts love it. that's great it works really well for <laughs> um so. you know the thing with these tumblers and they do these for ease because you always want to outside in, you know, kind of keep moving that the, the pile of compost. Mm-hmm. So they make this like a big ball. And I could actually probably see my kids getting in this and rolling down the hill. There you go. So that would be a danger point for me. Um, but they're just small. So if you're producing a lot of yard waste, you know, a lot of brown material, that thing is going to fill up, which is probably why you have this other pile right next to it is because you can't fit everything in those. Exactly. So they're just pretty small. And then if it is in the direct zone, that thing will get hot as I'll get out and dry out. So having it in the shade where it is now is probably a better choice than having it in the blaring sun for sure but oh. you're also staying next to the compost like Yoda is right next to you i mean tom is like the compost like compost he is yes he's got oh, it.
0: struggle you have <laughs> so what's your your dog's name is what olive olive I olive has dog been dog following around yeah. and she is very concerned that brian hasn't fed her yet And she's
1: eyeing the asparagus. So (laughs) You're
2: higher in elevation, so things are going to take longer.
0: Traditional compost piles for people out there that are thinking of making them, uh, they can be made out of all kinds of creative materials, much like what Brian's doing here. Um, But typically with a front slat, like a gate on a square shape, that slides up or down or folds out or hinges out is the easiest way to access your compost. So you don't have to lift anything. You just take that front gate off and you've got access to the whole pile. All this material will eventually break down. It's just a matter of your schedule. And are you counting on that compost for this season's garden?
1: And and that's that's certainly not what I'm doing this season. Yeah, I'm not counting on that, so. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you guys think about the tarps? I, that was a method that was recommended to me for killing weeds. You let them germinate underneath, but then they don't have the sunlight.
2: So if we look at these beds, so they have a layer of black plastic over the top of it. And then the, the hope is that you are going to kill uh, any germinating weed seeds. Um, just because they're, either it's going to get so hot under there or there's not going to be any light. So they're going to die out. If you want to really solarize these gardens, mm-hmm then use clear plastic clear plastic is going to let a lot more light through obviously which is going to heat it up way faster and for way much longer than black plastic does now black plastic is emitting light from the equation here which has which does potentially help um i'd be curious we could always peek under there and see if anything's kind of coming up or how hot it is uh you know again those weeds are tenacious they'll they may outlast you you know they can wait you out um but i'd be curious it's you know black plastic is has been known to kind of smother out weeds but i've also seen bindweed and mallow push up and kind of balloon or pillow up the plastic as well so
1: well do you think it'll hurt the the bugs and microbiology I don't
2: think so because I don't think you'll get that hot. I mean, I don't know if there's a, I always use that 145, 150 degree temperature to, that's, you're going to start killing things off because that's also when you start to kill weed seeds off. But if you're going to kill a weed seed off, you're probably doing some damage to anything in that top layer of soil, you know, in terms of beneficial fungi, bacterium, nematodes, protozoa, all those things that you can look under a microscope at
0: since you're not going to be using that compost over there you're going to purchase some compost but it looks
2: like you're looking at 150 square
0: feet Mm -hmm. and i know you mentioned bags and one suggestion was just getting a truckload of it for a lot cheaper
1: that's probably what i'll do go to the the nursery and just grab a truckload of compost right
0: those those bags are great for small beds and, and small chores but if you're doing a fair amount of space and you've got about a five inch um space on that vertical Frame on the bed that you could add quite a bit more material in there, so you would be better off, I think, with a truckload or so.
1: Okay, thanks.
2: Or two, and then you can bring one to my house. Exactly,
0: and we can write down his address for you so that the delivery happens. That's
2: also where the the pie will be
1: delivered. The pie. That's right.
0: The rhubarb, not just rhubarb, but strawberry. Yeah. yeah. If it's just, I'll
1: definitely get you guys some rhubarb pie. Bring it by the studio. All
0: right, well, well. good luck and uh, we hope that uh, more gardeners will take the challenge up like Brian has and try to grow food around your house. There are many wonderful things that can happen once you start that addictive hobby. Thanks guys,
2: I appreciate it.
0: So Darren, we gotta head back to town.
2: Uh, you got the helicopter, the pilot? well he's late so um it's kind of hard to land in here we've all been stalling trees. so
0: brian can we cut down some of these ponderosas absolutely. so we can yeah, get sure. the chopper in I here
1: would yeah. love to cut down absolutely <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well we're signing off for today and we'll talk to you next week in the meantime
2: uh, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit
0: take care everybody